Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Stone Chapel, a podcast to the staff and friends of the Lanier Theological Library in Houston, Texas. My name is David Capes. I'm the Senior Research Fellow at the Library and your host for this series of podcasts. Our purpose is fairly simple. We want to bring to you great conversations with leading experts from around the world on biblical, theological, historical, and archaeological themes. Well, the list goes on. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Joining me today on the Stone Chapel is Dr. Andy Abernathy. He has his MDiv and PhD from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. He's an associate professor of Old Testament and former colleague of mine at Wheaton College. He's also the degree coordinator for the MA in Biblical Exegesis. He's the author of lots of articles and uh, handbooks and journals and things like that. But he's but but the book we're going to talk about today is called God's Messiah in the Old Testament expectations of a coming king. He co-authored that along with Dr. Gregory Goswell. It's published in 2020 by Baker Academic. Dr. Abernathy, good to see you. David, great, great to see you too. You, oh. you called me a former colleague of yours. Uh, David, you were my boss. So. <laughs> hey, no, we're colleagues. That's the, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no boss here. No boss. It's great to be great to be with you uh, today. Thanks for having me on. Well, this is a terrific book. I've read it, and it's something that I've been needing, uh, and I think something we have been needing for a while. And um, we want to talk about the book in all different aspects and let people know more about it because I think it's a book they're going to want to know and read and and digest for themselves. Uh, and this is a question, uh, Andy. I ask everybody. Um, because I think it, it's helpful to get started by saying, what's the big idea of your book? Every book has a, every good book has a big idea. What's the big idea behind your book? Yeah, the big idea I, I think is captured in our title, namely this idea of God's Messiah. You know, we, we could say the Messiah in the Old Testament and mean one thing, but when we bring it into God's Messiah, what, what we're calling into view is how really at the center of the Old Testament is God. And as God is carrying out his plans in the world to make all things new, God, one of the agents who is uh, an important figure within the outworking of God's plans is uh, his Messiah. In our book, what we focus on in terms of Messiah is more narrowly on God's royal Messiah, God's um, the plan for God to use a coming king in, in his plans. So, you know, there could be other strands of kind of messianic anointed kind of figure hopes that, that are more priestly or prophetic, you know, such as the suffering servant. But we're particularly focused on where do we find in the Old Testament hope that where God is planning to use uh, a, a king in a significant way to accomplish his 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 plan so so i'd say that's our big idea the way we've gone about it is in a sort of book by book or corpus by corpus approach where you know we ask the question okay what does the pentateuch say about this what what do say first and second samuel say about this what what is first and second kings and because what what tends to happen is, is folks will just kind of jump around from kind of promise to promise. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And, you know, you, you have a handful of passages that receive attention, but what about books as a whole, like 
first and second Kings where you see Davidic Kings mm. messing up like crazy. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, there's no real promise, explicit promise in there, but how might that have been written in such a way to kind of project, well, here's what a great King would be like. And we're not giving up. We're, we're not letting go of this hope that God may work through a great King again, one day, what, what sort of hopes are emerging about God's plan to use uh, a coming King. So but anyways, that, that gives you a little window into sure. what, what we did. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's good. So how do you define Messiah? I mean, yeah, so, I mean, Messiah is a word that doesn't occur a lot in the, in the Bible, right? In yeah. fact, you have some people who argue that there's very precious little uh, yeah. messianic and all that's developed later, right? But before exactly. the New Testament, yeah, like after the, you know, intertestamental period or so. Yeah. And you as a New Testament scholar know that well, you know, a lot of these uh, works that have been done on um, the Messiah in the Bible are New Testament scholars who will kind of have a chapter or two that, that say, well, there's not really anything there in the Old Testament, <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah. here's what we have in the intertestamental period and, and so forth. And, and I think if, if we limit um, this idea of Messiah to, to the term Messiah, which in Hebrew um, is Mashiach, which just means anointed one, and that's where Christos comes from. Mm-hmm. You're not going to find much in the Old Testament. In Isaiah, the the one person referred to as the uh, God's Messiah is actually King Cyrus of Persia, an yeah. anointed figure who he's going to use in yeah. a made way. And so, so I think what what we tend to focus on, and it's common among other Old Testament scholars, is to speak about what we refer to as messianic expectations. What we have in mind is we're, we're drawing on this idea of messianism, which kind of became a clear concept later on, or in terms of the term they used to describe kind of hopes for a coming figure who's going to act in a significant way in the end times. And what we've done is say, well, the term might not be there as much in the Old Testament, but it seems like the concept is there in developing and growing. And so for us, the way we define Messiah here is the expectation of God using a royal kind of figure in a significant way as he accomplishes, God accomplishes his plans in the future. So, Hmm. so that's kind of a more broad definition that isn't kind of confined by a simple term like, Oh, we need to find the term Messiah. Yeah. specifically to be, yeah. to be able to be describing a, um, a f- future coming king. But it could be it could be a ruler, the word ruler or shepherd. It could be a variety yeah. of, of things. Yeah, ruler, shepherd. It, 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 they could talk about him being on a throne. It, it can mm-hmm. talk about, yeah, him, him ruling or even judging, uh, yeah. bringing this in righteousness, uh, carrying out the kingly functions. Um, and... You know, if you look, I mean, David is referred to as God's Messiah. Right. In the right. Testament, his anointed one, right. you know, at that time. Um, Hannah is expecting how God's going to remain committed to his Messiah. You know, you do have that term referred to, hmm. but, but it's not as clearly set forth as kind of a distant figure. It's often referring to who God has anointed in the moment. 
Like if Saul, God's like habit, you've got Saul. Yeah, who's Saul is referred. Yeah, exactly. Right. Saul is. But if God's in the habit of kind of referring to his kings who he's kind of endowed with his spirit to rule as his anointed as his Messiah, certainly these other passages talking about coming kings can kind of be seen in that that way as well. A lot of uh, New Testament scholars will talk about reading backwards. And yeah. I, I noticed that that you guys at the end of the introduction or someplace, maybe once or twice in the book, talk about, no, we're, we're, we're intentionally reading forward. We're not yeah. starting with the end. We're, we're starting with the book itself, and we're moving forward through it. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, you, you, you know, the, the word, language you just used there is language that someone used in Sunday school class. I, I got invited to teach a, you know, four-week series at a church in, in Chicago and on the Messiah in the Old Testament. And one student's kid, person came up to me afterwards. He goes, this is so fascinating to ask the question of, well, what is the Old Testament looking forward to you know <laughs> instead of just like having the end point already in mind yeah, and yeah. i think there's a place for going both ways going from new back to old but but i think just asking this question where do we see these hopes that god has inspired the writers in the old testament to be speaking about how is this fitting into a, a message as they look towards the future that that god is um, bearing witness to, uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. So. and 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 again, New Testament scholars will often say something like, you know, well, well, through Jesus, the, the idea of the Messiah is redefined, yeah, because there is sort of a, at least in some corners, there's a militaristic, there's a you know conquering kind of aspect yeah. to it, but you guys don't don't, I mean, that seems not to be so strongly expressed in yeah. the Old Testament. Yeah, what that, that's an that's an interesting point you raise. Yeah, you see this mantra, you know, it comes up a lot in the church that the Old Testament expects a kind of military Messiah, and you do see like a couple passages that point in that direction of how God will be using a future king to kind of overthrow enemies. But man, a lot of the promises about a future coming king revolve around how this king will bring about justice and righteousness for the poor and for the oppressed how this king will help uh, center the community around God's temple and God's presence. Mm. What strikes me about your statement about how Jesus does help redefine mess, the, the concept of the Messiah, I think that's absolutely true in the sense that, man, I'm not entirely sure that the Old Testament anticipated that the Davidic Messiah would be divine Mm -hmm. you know there's a close relationship between god and his davidic messiah Mm -hmm. uh, very close and and, and, but in jesus all of a sudden it's like this is your high christology you 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 should riff on this for a little bit (laughs) Um, this high christology that comes with jesus as as god himself but also this this davidic king you know is is forces us to kind of see how jesus certainly aligns with the old testament's expectations but kind of it's like oh you thought those were great expectations yeah <laughs> jesus aligns with those but boom we're going big time on this you yeah know? exactly exactly all these things seem to coalesce right i mean around jesus that the expectation that yahweh would return to his people and yahweh would return in person yeah. and in power and in glory 
and uh, all those things come together, it seems to me. That's yeah. what the New Testament is doing. Um, yeah. We've mentioned King David a couple of times, and uh, yeah. I, I often talk about this rabbi I know who's in Jerusalem that says, well, you know King David? He said, you know, he broke nine of the Ten Commandments, you know, and, and I don't know. I've never, I've never tracked it out, but I think that's probably true. But he's still, yeah. he's still considered kind of the ideal, right? And it goes back yeah. to, to some degree, it goes back to 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 to 16, I think it is. I want to yeah. talk a little bit about that passage, if you, have, if you can get it handy yeah. there. Yeah. And yeah. set this up a little bit for us. What's going on in... Yeah, so so David's um, finally become a, a set up as king. King Saul has died. Remember, David is kind of portrayed as this man after God's own heart. He, the first thing he does after he establishes Jerusalem, he brings God's presence there. He he brings the Ark of the Covenant, mm-hmm. kind of saying, hey, "God is going to be king here in this city." David kind of has this idea on his heart. He's like, "I want to build God a house," you know, like. I want to do this for, for God. And, and Nathan, you know, the prophet says, yeah, all right, do it. Do what's on your heart, right? <laughs> Remember his heart, this man after God's own heart, is, do what's on your heart. And then God appears to Nathan's like, no, <laughs> we're not going to have David building us a house. And and we're not told why in, in 2 Samuel, but, it, but in Chronicles, it mentions David has some bloody hands, you know, with all the war he'd been a part of. God didn't want him a part of this. But what God does is he kind of flips the tables on David. He's like, all right, David, you think you're going to build me a house? I'm actually going to do something different. I'm going to build you a house. And this is where we see God's commitment to David. And hmm. would, would it be helpful, David, if I just kind of walk through, yeah. starting with verse 12 and, and give a few comments. I think so. Yeah. And, 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 and this promise, uh, comes to David through Nathan, the court prophet, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. God sort of deals with Nathan to go deal with David, uh, yeah, which he's right. done before and will do again. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so, so yeah, take it, take us through those, those few yeah. verses because they're really uh, central yeah. for establishing this notion of the Royal Messiah. Yeah. There are a few verses before this that talk about how, God's going to bless Israel through through David, but here here we get in verse twelve, start getting to this real crux of God's kind of unbelievable commitment He's going to make to David. He says, "For your days will be full, and you will lay down with your fathers." Okay, so it's clear David is going to die at a full old age, and I will establish your offspring after you who will come out from your kind of womb or or your your lineage. So God, this word of I will establish is a word often used in covenant contexts. I will establish it. There's this strong commitment God's making. And in Psalm 89 refers to what's happening here as a, um, as a covenant. So God's saying, I'm going to establish this offspring after you. And immediately we go to, we think of Jesus, right? Right. And I say, yes, we do get to Jesus, but let's keep open the fact that this could refer to Solomon and then the lineage, David's dynasty as a whole goes on. And it says, and I will establish his kingdom. He will build a house for my name. Again, we think Jesus, but can we also think Solomon, Mm -hmm. David's very son, who's going to be one who's building 
a house for God's name. That house David wanted to build, wanted to build David's son is going to build it. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And again, when we hear that word forever, we're thinking, yes, this is talking about Jesus' throne being established forever. I'd say yes, but <laughs> let's think initially first of who this is referring to. God is saying he is going to be committed to David's house, and it is not going to end. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's this long-standing commitment to David, and you see that played out in First and Second Kings. It's like these Davidic kings are, a lot of them are rotten. And God hangs in there with them, right? Mm -hmm. and this becomes clearer as we go on. It says, and I myself will be to him, the, this, the son of, of David, a father, and he will be to me a son. What intimate language God is using to describe his relationship to David's offspring of a father and a son. And we immediately think of the father in heaven and the, the son, the second person of the Trinity here. But here's the problem as you read on. So he says, I will be to him a father and he will be a son to me. When he sins, I will reprove him with the rod of men and with the strikes of the sons of men. All right. Clearly, this is not talking about Jesus, <laughs> at least in first blush. Yeah, yeah. God's saying at least, is, at least that part, that part, right? Yeah, at least this part. God is going to be committed to this Davidic king like a father would be to a son. That when he strays and goes away from God, God is going to be uniquely correcting him and restoring him and so forth. And this is where it gets huge in verse 15. And my steadfast love will never depart from him just as I cause my steadfast love to depart from Saul. And the background here is how God has rejected Saul. And God is saying, I will never do that. I will discipline my children. I will work, you know, but I am not going to remove my chesed. My steadfast love will remain with David forever. And this is where we see this beautiful story unfold in the rest of the Bible. God doesn't reject David after he screws up with Bathsheba. God doesn't give up on Solomon uh, the Davidic line after Solomon has thousands of wives, a thousand wives and builds all these, you know, we're, 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 idol worship places. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. God doesn't give up on David, even after he drives the nail into Jerusalem and takes all the Davidic kings off the throne. And there is no king on the throne there. Because when we see the prophets looking ahead saying, God's made these promises to David that his kingdom would last forever. We might not always see a king on the throne, but we know that God will establish a king forever. And as it turns out, Matthew opens the gospels with this <laughs> is the gospel or, or the genealogy of Jesus, the son of David. Son right? of David. Exactly. We see how faithful God has been his promises to David. And, and this, I, I think you're right, David, to point us to second Samuel seven is, this promise is so foundational to the hopes of Davidic king. A, a, a line that lasts forever, a, a dynasty that lasts forever, uh, this temple that is built becomes very significant, right? Yes. Paul talks yes. about the fact that, uh, and, and other Christians do as well, that God has made, made a new temple, but it's not made yeah. with hands, right? 
and, yes. and that Jesus comes along to be a son, not just a son as one who is closely related, but as one yes. who, is, who is... As the very son himself. The very son himself. As the ultimate temple builder, as the one whose throne will never, mm. never end. So We've been talking to Dr. Andrew Abernathy, who is the author of a great new book called God's Messiah in the Old Testament, Expectations of a Coming King. It's published by Baker Academic. Dr. Abernathy, thanks for being with us today to talk a little bit about your book. There's a lot more here. Yeah, it was a pleasure uh, to talk with you, David. Thanks to Brent Johnson and Janet Seifert for editing these podcasts. Thanks as well to Phil Keggy for our music. These podcasts are made possible by the generosity of Mark and Becky Lanier and the Lanier Theological Library Foundation. If you have questions, comments, or would just like to be in touch, please email us at podcast at lanierlibrary.org. Lanier is L-A-N-I-E-R. Thanks for listening.